The year is 1976. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello and welcome to My Marvelous Year, the reading club podcast where we go through Marvel Comics history from its origins to today. Today we're going to be talking about 1976 Part 1, the reading list that we provide to everyone playing along at home over via comicbookherald.com, My Marvelous Year Club. You can find it in patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear, the show notes, and lots of other places. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of CBH. I am joined today by the biggest daddy there ever was zach dean how's yeah. it going yeah it's good so, <laughs> you have to stop introducing me like you just gave me a call and we haven't been talking for five minutes like <laughs> this is you know and i have on the line zach dean zach say hello to the audience i like to kick off the show with a little bit of flair you know people are no i like, the, they, I don't, like the they don't flair, know that you were just telling me all of your terrible opinions about spider-man <laughs> yeah, we're still minutes. we're still kind of arguing about sins past. Yeah, that'll that'll be happening. That'll be a thread. I think we can safely say. But yeah, we're here to talk today about we're on to a new year, 1976, part one. We are officially in the glorious era of Chris Claremont and Dave Cockrum on Uncanny X Men. We are in the return of Jack Kirby phase. We're going to talk about his work on Eternals and Captain America. That's where my big daddy reference comes in. And we're going to talk about a couple <laughs> oddballs in the year, uh, including the debut of Bullseye in the pages of Daredevil and Luke Cage joining the Fantastic Four. So we've got an interesting batch. Let's start with the good stuff. Let's start with the gems. Uncanny X-Men issues oh, 98 think, to 100. You thought this was good? Two. Well, what did you think? Because you are oh, you're no, doing I'm, the, I'm, the Claremont train for, if not the first time, the first time probably this thoroughly. Um, does it does it yeah, grab I, you early, like uh, like the way well, you thought it might? If he's going to do one thing to grab me early, it's immediately start out with a splash page of X-Men Christmas, which it did. And yeah. uh, I loved that. That was like, I don't know, that that's bait set specifically for me. You know, um, it, he does... It's an interesting thing because I've been noticing it in other comics as well. But a every uncanny issue, like written by Claremont, at least in my memory, it starts with the big splash page and a bunch of narrative captions. You know, so it's like every issue opens like that, and it's something that I noticed. Uncanny continues to do like well into the '90s after Claremont leaves, and I'm also seeing. I think um I think RT I think Roy Thomas does it in the pages of Fantastic Four as well. I wonder. I, I didn't really track, like, was Claremont the first to employ this style, or did it become kind of a Marvel you, you thing? You mean, like, the cold open of them just kind of doing some normal, like... Yeah, it's a cold open, they're doing business? stuff, it's it's yeah. literally one big panel, one big splash of something happening, but, like, a lot of explanation, you know? Yeah, I don't know. Um, Fantastic Four's been doing that for a while, right? Like, they always kind of started out with, like, what's Reed doing in the lab today? And then, you know... Johnny, what's that alarm? And then they go off to the actual business of the episode or the issue. I don't know why. I don't know why I associated with Claremont so specifically. I think it's because of the way he uses the page to just sort of like, yeah, to write that cold open, to write like a little. I don't know what it would be if you pulled it out, like five five to seven sentence 
like pontificating on the nature of weather in New York during Christmas or something, you know, mm-hmm. yeah. like it's tangential to the action. It's just, it always, it sets the mood for me in a way that makes me feel like, oh yeah, I'm reading Claremont and Kenny X-Men. Yeah. Um, no, I, I liked it. I don't know if Claremont's writing is like so good that I'm, I'm riveted by his prose and his narrative captions, but I also don't find them like grating yet. <laughs> we'll see if uh, years down the line, I'm like, I get tired of them. But uh, yeah, I think yeah, the right things now he does I, I well are character and story beats and the actual like prose flourishes. I mean, he still still does not measure up to our fave Don McGregor over. On I would put him like Panther squarely Rays. in the middle between Don McGregor and Roy Thomas. I think Roy Thomas is the worst at doing this and is the yeah. most like actually Jack Kirby, honestly. If we're going to get to Jack Kirby now compared to... We're going to get to Jack Kirby. Let's yeah, save yeah, our yeah. Kirby thoughts. I, I yeah, yeah, think yeah. I know where you're going. Um, oh, okay. speak, speaking of which, Jack Kirby actually shows up in this issue, which Heck I really yeah, like. yeah, he does. There's, I grabbed that a, panel. Yeah, it's a fun... Uh, I think it's Cyclops and Jean Grey, right? Like They, so walk they go by. into a hot and heavy smooch right in front yep. of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby, <laughs> and, uh, and the they're X-Men like, creators get a little commentary. They're like, they never used to do that when we were drawing them. Just it's pretty funny. Yeah, it's a nice little uh, moment, a nice little nice little homage. To so the I, I read I'm probably gonna be reading every issue of X Men. I, I assume a lot of people in the club are going to as well. I think that's gonna be pretty standard. Because we read a lot of it, but um I it like I guess we can talk about it kind of in generalities. It does flow really as one big story. And I think that's what Claremont is really trying to do. And with this team build or that the team approach, as opposed to like Spider Man, who's been doing this, you know, one long story thing, but it's really focusing around Spider Man. With X Men, there's so many characters that it's usually like three or four threads all kind of weaving in and out of each other really long term. Like we yeah. have some stuff going on with Professor X that I think started in issue ninety six and doesn't get resolved by issue one oh three, so that's eight issues of some build up towards like something's going on with Professor X and it keeps like hinting and building this mystery and uh i mean like, clearly he has a long-term plan for these characters there's these long-term story things going on so um, i think i think the long-term planning of x-men sets it apart probably more than anything to this point in time it is not something we've seen done in marvel comics to date i think it is something that is still celebrated for its rarity when it is pulled off um very very well it is i mean probably reason number one why Jonathan Hickman is the biggest superstar writer at Marvel Comics in this year, yeah. 2019, yeah, yeah, in the year sure. of Hoxpox 2019, right? So, like, Ugh, Claremont Hoxpox. is doing that. And and what's fascinating to me is he's planting seeds, like you just said, for stuff that's going to happen years later without really knowing that he'd have it years later, you know? Sure. Like, I mean, at this so point, I, I was reading a little bit of his history he was i mean he was given the x-men because no one liked the x-men and they weren't selling well so it was just like yeah "Yeah, let's give the new kid a shot he was 25 years old when he started on Mm x-men that's wild i just found that out 25 years old and given the helm of what is now like probably what besides spider-man the most popular comic book franchise i uh, Marvel franchise. Is, not is Spider-Man more popular than X-Men? I don't know that it, it that he is. M- maybe not Probably. in like number I guess of books, technically. But yeah. Yeah, but I don't I just, know. I mean, X-Men's, it's up there. Whatever. You but. realize when X-Men's good, when they're good, movies, TV, comics, whatever, people love X-Men like nothing else, 
Like it's yeah, it's amazing right? yeah. when when it's good, the phantom that comes out. Um, but okay, let's let's talk about what happens in these issues a little bit. Uh, ninety eight through one hundred two. Basically, this story, and like you said, you got to read everything if you're a if you're an X Men or a Marvel fan here. I think not doing so is doing yourself an injustice. Um, to to play along with my Marvelous Year <laughs> Club, even though I'm gonna cap not, it. Not to put a not to put it too seriously, but yeah, uh, like no, you're, you're betraying a, you failed yourself and yourself your family and your integrity, yeah. and your mom is not proud of you anymore. No, no, no. I just think it's all worth reading. Um, but these issues specifically, they start off with a big Sentinel story, and that really progresses us into what's going to follow for the next like thirty to forty issues, which is all Phoenix Saga. So I was surprised yeah. at how quickly the Phoenix comes into all this, right? It's like right, because remember they start with issue ninety four is when Claremont and Cockrum take over. And by the time we get to the end of the year, by the end of the year here in 76, you know, we're up to like 102 and Phoenix is here, right? So pretty quick progression. Uh, but it starts off even before we get to that point with a big Sentinel story that is really great. And it kind of, it takes what was interesting about the Sentinels from, um, from their debut, which we read way back when in Uncanny X-Men 14 through 16, and it makes them scary again in a way that I think is really effective. They show up and Cyclops and Jean, you know, see them like in a mall, it's Christmas, and they freak out, right? It's a big deal that the Sentinels are back, these mutant hunting robots, and they are back at the behest of Stephen Lang, a name that uh, X-Men fans should remember. And let me tell you something about names here in the X-Men universe. Remember all of them. Because they are almost (laughs) without question coming back, no matter how small it may seem or unnecessary, you're probably going to see him again. He, uh, I I mean, I think, okay, so a couple things I like about the Sentinels' appearance here is, one, they attack them in public uh, Mm -hmm. in a way that makes it really seem like, you know, people are terrified and people are upset at the mutants for putting them all in danger just for being there, right? Like, the Sentinels attacking them in public is stoking anti-mutant prejudice, um... Like, people blame them for the danger. Right. And then the other thing I like is it takes the control of Sentinels out of the Sentinels' hands and stops making them, like, their own AI threat, which is something I, I really don't like. Like, it makes them, they're the puppets of prejudiced humans now, right? They are the tools of people who are trying to wipe out the mutants instead of, like, I feel like the last, I can you think of- You don't like that? T- Two or th- no, no, I like that. I, I like okay. that better than the last few Sentinel stories have just been like Sentinels gone rogue and like the Sentinels are creating Sentinels or the Sentinels are hatching their own plans, right? So like that was like robots. when we got to Master Mold or like the Avengers story we read where it's like right. Sentinels, yeah, yeah. you know, in space and they're all kind of like running their own show. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I like them as the tools of the prejudiced because it gives it gives the villainy uh, more more of a connective tissue to something that is very easy to understand and to see in the right, real world, yes. of course. Yes, yes, yes. So um, can we talk about Wolverine individually before we <laughs> do much story stuff? He's got a, he's got some big moments in this that I had forgotten. Uh, what did, what did yeah. you want to talk about? Oh, I just want to talk about his hairline. Um, <laughs> <laughs> his, uh, his widow's peak yeah. uh, basically hits between his eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. There's a panel here where it comes down and the point of it literally meets between his eyebrows Mm -hmm. it's the most insane thing like his forehead has hair on it um yeah he looks a little more he looks a little older and more savage i think in these early issues than i i would have expected i think um i i was surprised because i think of wolverine really coming into his own once john byrne takes over as artist on the title and and clearly expresses a desire to to sort of popularize the character and draw him a little bit more um i was a little surprised how much characterization we get for wolverine i guess that actually in broad strokes 
one of the things that makes these issues so cool and what makes X-Men so cool now is everyone gets built up so successfully. Everyone gets a moment. You get a lot of detail. Like, again, five issues. We get Wolverine being a loner. We get him being savage. We get his flirtatious and like confused feelings towards Jean Grey, confused in the sense that he's never been, never fallen so quickly for a woman type thing, you know? So you get the, right, you get the yeah. love triangle in the span of, you know, we've only had him on the title for like a year or year and a half now. We get Aurora, we get Storm, some of her background in Kenya, we get her claustrophobia developing. Like there's so much that happens with characters here that is sort of outside the plot yet a part of it. It's, it's really amazing work, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think I read this about Claire is that he was interested in, a, in approaching the characters using what he called method acting, right? You know, like what an actor does to get inside the head of a character and mm-hmm. really try to dig into their motivations. So he said that's how he wrote these characters was uh, from a like character motivation point of view rather than like plot driven, right? Mm-hmm. Like always trying to write these characters and like what would they do in this situation? And I think that really does come through because everybody really acts like they should you know like i feel like with the avengers you often like they don't act always like you know logical perfectly logical heroes always doing the right thing right like at one point colossus just gets mad at wolverine in the middle of a fight they're in the middle of this uh you know very serious fight and colossus is mad because wolverine is being disrespectful to storm he calls her abroad and he's like i told you not to talk to her like that and he picks up wolverine and he throws him over a wall like (laughs) (laughs) he just he chucks him off the battlefield and now wolverine needs to deal with like getting back to the battle uh and it's you know tactically not the best thing but it kind of makes sense for the way that Wolverine's been pushing his buttons. Exactly. And that's totally one of the things I love about this time period. And and one of the things I was having the most fun going back and reading is like you're you're reading these characters getting to know each other and and becoming a team for the first time. And and we look at them now and where they're at and they have this long, long history together. It's really cool to see them come together and become like a family unit for the first time, you know, become this international yeah. family unit of of mutants. And again, just to like Clarify for those who are not reading along or, or haven't read yet, um, we've got Cyclops and Jean Grey as sort of the old guard. It's all vaguely headed up by Professor X, but then you've got Wolverine, Storm, Nightcrawler, Colossus, and technically Banshee, um, who is kind of around. Mostly he's like developing a relationship with Myra McTaggart. Uh, oh, can I he, talk about He, is, he does actually second? have a nice role um, using his powers in these issues. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, I'm going to be glad when he doesn't. Pretty soon, I, I mean, I hope this isn't a big spoiler, but pretty soon he's not going to become an active member of the X-Men. And I think he works much better as a, like, secondary outside player than a primary X-Men. But Moira uh, has shown up as ostensibly the housekeeper, right? That she was, I think it was 96 or 97 she was introduced. Yeah, and so we Professor skipped this X one. Is, it's actually yeah. a great issue, and it, it has taken on uh, renewed importance in 2019 <laughs> but but please continue yeah yeah it's i you don't really need to read it like you understand zach she brings out up. an enormous machine gun <laughs> yes i know that's demon. what i wanted to mention it's like <laughs> a demon attacks the uh the x mansion and in the middle of it the housekeeper we don't really know anything about her just burst into the room with a tommy gun and starts uh maybe bullets will help and just starts firing <laughs> this that's monster pretty incredible. Yeah, and I don't think that gets explained. Like they were just like, ah, oh, thank God Moira was here. Not until, uh, so. uh, not until 2019. <laughs> I don't really. I don't remember that like coming up specifically that she brings uh, up a machine. Specifically, is a stretch. But anyway, God, can God Moira is 
1,000 times cooler than she's ever been retroactively because of what's happening right now i don't want to say anything except that like no just pay attention to the names pay attention to the names and the characters oh i mean everyone knows more i mean she's she's a big player but there was one issue that just came out that instantly turned her into one of the most interesting characters in marvel so yeah uh just just a hint for years and years down the line and i i guess at this point actually we should say it's almost impossible to talk about the x-men right now without thinking about house of x and powers of 10 which are ongoing. So again, like we're going to do our best to not spoil anything. Oh, over. no, we definitely won't spoil anything. I mean, it'd be really well, we, easy. Someone can make a case that we just did. And oh, I mean, if, and, if and I'm going to call out here, like, spoilers, it's, it's all just looking at it as one, one cohesive unit of X-Men storytelling and just sort of, I think it's because of the enthusiasm for what's happening now. Yeah, it's, sure. We're, again, I mean, we're not we going say to do like a lot of back and forth. She's cool later. I don't think that's a spoiler. Like, <laughs> I, I think, oh, they are involved in an interesting story in the future does not constitute a spoiler. If that's a spoiler, I, I mean, you probably shouldn't ever be on anything close to the internet. Yeah, right? go if dark. That sensitive Just go dark. That's yeah. all I'm saying. Yeah, we're we're not going to talk about anything specific. I mean, it would be it's way too complicated to talk about anyway. So, it, it's also the only modern Marvel that I am anywhere near. So it's not like I I know what else is going on in Marvel. Um, the yeah, other that's thing the with thing. Wolverine, uh, Zach, Zach is, was so taken by the new X Men that he cheated and jumped ahead. I know, I know. I well, the thing is, like, it has been really hard not to be spoiled on it. Like Polygon just keeps ruining it by saying, like, in issue number four here's the big twist, like, as their headline, and it's driving yeah, me nuts. Right. And I was just like, well, I kind of want to be part of this conversation. So I, yeah. I don't know. Maybe so, so just clarifying, we're going to stay away from those types of spoilers. I mean, sure, we're going to, the same worried. thing we do with everything. We're not really going to talk about any future stories. We just might mention that it's good later. Illusions, Michael. <laughs> Illusions. Yeah, yeah. yeah, right. That's spell with <laughs> That's good. So can we talk about Wolverine and his character, which I think... Feels a little weird to me, but I don't know if that's just because. How so? No, I don't think it's. I don't think it's just because I know about his character later. He kind of acts like a crazy person here, and no one quite treats him like he is as off the handle as he is. At, Wolverine at one is kind point of a here, crazy person. <laughs> what I know, what but mean? nobody, nobody really. Okay, so Professor X says you've all been through a lot, and while we're recuperating, you're all going on vacation, and Wolverine freaks out and pulls his claws out <laughs> and starts to like approach Professor X with his claws drawn like he's he's threatening violence because Professor X just said they need to go on vacation and you know like it, it's such a heightened response I'm not saying it's not doesn't make sense that he's that wild I'm saying that the way that everyone reacts to him doesn't quite make sense right like no one is treating mm-hmm. him like he's a complete maniac they're treating him like he's a little unruly not waving knives in everyone's face you know it, it's a little complaint but that's interesting i i actually read it like definitely they were all adjusting to him being very strange um but like trying to include him as part of the unit and i don't know this actually i, I guess that's kind of what i was saying earlier is it actually feels very much to me like oh yeah this is wolverine that we know and but it's just very early stages of him being developed yeah. um yeah so i think I, they'll you know they'll find some level, of that's heightened i, I guess yeah yeah sure i mean it's it, it didn't really um, impact my enjoyment. I just thought it was uh, a little thing that, like, I think they're going to get better at. I think they're going to get better at modulating Wolverine's temper. Um, because it feels a little Silver age where it's like, the thing is destroying million-dollar equipment on a whim because Johnny Storm called him Lughead, right? Yeah, and everyone's sure. just like, oh, Ben. And it's like, oh, it's kind of funny and Silver age but this has a little slightly more serious tone. Whatever. It, it, I'm, 
I'm blowing it a little out of proportion. What I do think is cool about Wolverine is there is an air of mystery to him that I really like. That, like, people don't really know what to make of him. Um, like, they're... I think they're surprised at how much he can, like, take a hit. And then at one point, he doesn't have his costume on. His shirt's off, and he pulls his claws out. And everyone's a little shocked that his claws actually come from his body. Like, they all thought that they were built into his costume or something. Yeah, it's uh, really he cool. he has to clarify. Yeah. That, that yeah, so Wolverine, really yeah. Banshee, and Jean all get taken hostage up uh, by the Sentinels. Yep. And when they're taken hostage, it's when we get the reveal that Stephen Lang's the one who's plotting to exterminate mutants and Sentinels, yada, yada. And he does his big monologue, and then at some point during it, Wolverine cuts free of his restraints, and they all are shocked that his claws are part of him. It's a really cool moment because we take that for yeah. granted, knowing so much about him. But yeah, they actually thought they were part of his costume. And I think I think I read at one point that Len Wein and... Um, oh, shoot, I'm blanking on the artist. In the, in the original creation, actually intended... For that to be a yeah, part of the they costume, were part of or maybe it's sort of drawn that the way. Hulk run, yes, yes, yes. yeah. So this yeah, sort of it's they, like well, it's like a minor retcon. We kind of talked about in yeah, the variant yeah, cover, yeah. like, hey, what are the retcons? This is probably one, um, but it works really well, and it's a cool little moment. And then, and then simultaneously, like in the next panel, you get Wolverine tearing Jean's dress, sort of at her request, but not really. Um, in the <laughs> in like yeah. a very a very telling, like he's got a thing for her slash he's the bad boy and Scott Summers is the good boy, you know, relationship dynamic that's going to be a big thing for years and years to come. Like there's just a lot of development in a small action of Wolverine being sort of lecherous, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that sequence ends with a really good cliffhanger of them bursting out through a wall. Banshee bursts the wall open and they are in the vacuum of space, which I, I think is a very effective like twist cliffhanger for the next issue. There's a yeah, bunch of totally those. There's works. actually a handful of really good cliffhangers at the end of these issues. Yeah, yeah, it absolutely works. I mean, I think the the next couple issues are basically all about the X-Men getting to the space station to rescue their comrades. They enlist mm-hmm, the aid right. of Dr. Peter Corbeau, who is friends with Professor Xavier. He's the leader of, um, what is it, Star Corps, uh, you know, space flight know. missions. He, is, he has such... He has such uh, abilities as a as a connected individual that he's able to schedule a, a launch, a space launch, <laughs> like on very short notice. And he brings in all the mutants, all the X-Men with him um, under the guise of just being, you know, regular old astronauts. And uh, Colossus freaks out because it turns out his brother Mikhail uh, was a cosmonaut who died in space. So he's he's got yeah, some yeah. negative con- negative connections with uh, space yeah, launch. Sure. Anyway, I long mean, story it, short. It's a really dark... I mean, that that's a very... Um... I don't know. That's a really upsetting character moment. Like he's terrified. He's yeah. just like panicking. And I actually like the uh, the panel of them all preparing for launch, and it shows a little bit of everybody's thought process. Nightcrawler. I mean, Nightcrawler's like jazzed out of his mind. He's so excited, which is awesome. Space. Like Nightcrawler's he, here for the yeah. Event. No, I, yeah. I, you get that contrast between Colossus and Nightcrawler there. Yeah. So they go up to the space the satellite. They crash into the side of it. They go to rescue the X Men and. Not Scott Lang, Steve Lang. Steve Lang. Yeah, Scott yeah, Lang. I said Scott. That is, he is the future Ant Man. This is Stephen <laughs> Lang. He is a yeah. Stephen Lang uh, reveals his his real person. yeah his real Sentinels like the real Sentinel upgrade that he's been working on, which is uh a, they all look like the original X Men. So it's like oh the original X Men versus the new X Men. Um, I mean they don't. I guess they don't present that at first. They present it like the original X Men are attacking the old X Men, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. That's a little. I feel like you can see right through that. And yeah, then that's so this another is issue one hundred, which is the is that, oh, what's your Wolverine thing? Yeah. So while while he's fighting, while Wolverine is fighting the uh, the the Jean Grey that's attacking them, he realizes because of his sense of smell that it's not the right Jean Grey. 
and uh, that it's not actually yep. her, and then like slashes her open. Everyone panics, and then you realize it's just a robot. But that's another like weird thing about Wolverine is that he has this ultra heightened sense of smell, which is I, I I like that they. I mean, most of the other X Men, it's like you immediately get their power set, and it's very black and white what it is. Like Nightcrawler teleports, Colossus is metal, but Wolverine has this whole slew of powers and they're all like we still haven't gotten to his healing factor like that has not come up yet and i feel like that's gonna you know they're, they're probably gonna reveal that in an interesting way yeah and there's some cool moments too of like wolverine you know he's like falling to his death and somebody's like he's falling out of you know five flights how will he survive but then they like they actually have someone save him or whatever so you don't get the healing factor revelation <laughs> and wolverine's just like don't you dare save me yeah yeah, yeah. like, they're like <laughs> no it would have been fine but we actually don't have that that knowledge yet as far as the comics are concerned um i would say uncanny 100 i i get the i get the desire to do an an old x-men original x-men versus new x-men sort of fight as a tease um it's probably my least favorite issue of the bunch, although ultimately it sets the stage for the X-Men defeat the Sentinels, they defeat Stephen Lang, and they gotta take a an unmanned, like not working spaceship back to Earth to escape. And who should be able to get the knowledge to be able to do this with the computer system down but Jean Gray? She absorbs the knowledge to fly a space shuttle directly from Dr. Peter Cordobo's mind, and uh and she pilots the ship through to Earth, seemingly at the expense of her own life. It's a good cliffhanger. I think it's like a very effective cliffhanger with Jean Grey seemingly being blasted apart by, you know, by radiation, solar radiation. And they have to and they have and to sort of, um, hold back Cyclops. Yeah, it's an effective emotional scene because of that. Like she says her goodbyes to everyone. Cyclops won't let her. I think she knocks him unconscious because she has Somebody no other does, choice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's all very good. I, I think this like this works well, but then of course in one oh one they land in the water, and then Jean Grey, you know, comes up out of the water, immediately proclaiming herself as the Phoenix. Phoenix or the Phoenix? I don't know. So, so she comes out as I am Phoenix, and she's declaring clearly very non-Jean, uh, you know, words and dialogue, right? Like she comes out and says, I am, oh, I can't remember it now. But basically, you know, it's big proclamations of right, what right. she yeah, is yeah. now and how small the X-Men are to her. And then, of course, she does the classic Something, Jean something ashes, something, something reborn. Fire you know, and water. The, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then, she, you know, she collapses and falls to the earth and they rush her to the hospital. So Jean now is, she's gone Phoenix, but we don't know what that means. The X-Men are amazed she's even alive, but she's in the hospital and they're all kind of just figuring out, you know, is she going to make it? There's a really nice moment here, a page two of Wolverine's going to the hospital to check on Gene and he's bringing some flowers and he's thinking I can't believe I'm so caught up in a in a lady um, I believe he continues to use frail which I typically associate with Sabretooth being the worst but Wolverine's still using it at this point which again I think shows some of the progression that he'll experience as a character just in terms <laughs> of like basic respect of of the opposite gender um, but he goes there and then he's surprised to find the entire X-Men family waiting outside Gene's room because of course, he's never been a part of a family or had friends before. I think it's a nice uh, little Wolverine moment and, yeah, and a moment sure. that shows like what the X-Men's going to be. Yeah, and then this turns into two issues of Leprechauns and Black Tom Cassidy. Yeah, the Leprechauns come out of nowhere. The Leprechauns. Uh, I mean, I, let me tell you, I don't want to get too much into the details, but those Leprechauns are probably the pivotal plot point of house of x uh, i think they're going to uh play play the biggest to everyone's surprise those leprechauns are kind of uh, well they're the original mutants sorry to spoil it but right when we said we weren't going to spoil anything we actually no. meant we were going to spoil 
everything and tell you House of X Powers of Ten, very, very uh St. Patrick's heavy. Day focused. Uh no, none and, of and, that. And they don't true. even get cooler. They're still just like, Oi me boyo like they, they get even Welcome more to stereotypical. Right. Yeah, so yeah, the reason like, leprechauns are in play, the reason we're doing bad Irish accents is because I, bad. Uh, I think I could say was that. Oh, that this uh, is that's for uh, Dave Coleman, our uh, our Irish listener. That, that was for you, Dave. Okay, Dave, please uh, confirm yes or no. Maybe next year's poll will be just for Dave. That very offensive good Irish accent or very offensive. Um yeah, so Black uh Black Tom comes into the picture. He is Sean Cassidy, Banshee's cousin or of something like that. And yep. uh, basically they all have to fly. The X-Men fly out to Ireland to check on Banshee's Irish castle property. Black this is Tom where they're Cassidy going on vacation. Wants yeah. to gra- right. They're trying to relax again. They're trying to get some R&R, which is a consistent theme here. Like, hey, get some rest. And then something terrible happens. Uh, in this case, the terrible that happens is Black Tom and Juggernaut are waiting for them at the castle. Black Tom and Juggernaut, long time companions and friends and villainous duo. Always pretty fun together. And, yeah, uh, I kind of liked their little friendship. Like, at the yeah. end, Black, Black Tom goes off the side of a cliff, and Juggernaut is genuinely, like, emotionally upset, and he leaps after him like, my only friend! Yeah, they're great pals. They're yeah, great yeah. pals. And, uh, okay, so Black Tom has probably the coolest mutant powers uh, that I don't know if they're revealed here. But could you could you tell me a little bit about them? Well, I don't think they've been revealed yet. I mean, I don't oh, really. It? We don't get a lot about him beyond he's got like a cane and maybe uh-huh. it can zap people. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> he's got yeah. shillelagh powers. Yeah, because some really uh, weird stuff is going to happen with Black Tom. Okay, that, uh, I don't okay. think I don't want to mention it because I don't think it's been mentioned here. Okay. Yeah. Issues. So th- this all feels like yeah, this is pretty uninteresting and something. It's kind of like why are they doing this? Why are they killing the X Men or trying to kill the X Men? Well, it's at the behest of someone who looks like a Viking, and it's clearly Eric the Red, who we saw in like '96 or '97, I think. Mm-hmm. They like hint strongly. It's not really that hidden. And Eric the Red is. I read about him in the Silver Age. I read his issue, and it was like Eric well, the Red gonna, was we're gonna get Cyclops, to it in more detail but, here. Like, yeah, he's not he's not that interesting, at least not at this point. If you um, if you've watched X-Men the animated series, this is definitely one of the more uh, familiar storylines that you'll have seen. They definitely played this one uh very close to how it presents here. And I think one of the biggest developments here as far as like why is this important is Professor X has been having visions all this time. Yes, he keeps seeing this like- helmeted alien shape in his visions, he keeps see- he's like seeing him in mirrors. At one point, I think he's on the he's boat. Also he seeing, sees it, and Doctor Peter Corbeau is like, like battle down battle scenes of like enormous wars being fought in space. Yeah, and, and he sees this again and gets the sense that like this this being is going to be at the castle, right? So that is yet to come. Um, but Professor X is anticipating some sort of meeting with some sort of alien. And again, a lot of you probably know, but those of you who don't, it's coming. It's a yeah. It's uh, and it's gonna be fine. It's gonna be just fine. I don't. Uh, I think I, you mean great. Yeah, I don't know. Is it? Wait, what? I don't, I don't want to. Is this? What are you doing? What is this? Don't spoil things. Well, I'm, I'll cut this out. But is that what it's? I'll cut towards? you out. All right. Spoil something again. <laughs> Good grief! All right. So, Wait, oh, so the, the, the only great. other thing I really like in this uh, sequence is Storm's reaction to being in this castle. She hates being in this huge stone castle. Oh, yeah. She talks about like it's a place of death. There's no you know no life can grow here. She has claustrophobia, which we learn is because when she was a child in um, in Egypt during the Suez War, uh, that like 
French bombing bombers, I think, uh, basically blew up her building with her parents. Her parents died and she was trapped in the rubble with mm-hmm. her dead parents. Mm-hmm. So she has intense fear over claustrophobia, which also leads to her first like nude shower scene, which I'm already just like very tired of. Um, that storm, I, like it kind of makes sense for the character. I get it. Actually, it. I makes a like, lot of sense for it, the character. It's free and uninhibited, I think it's the but it also part. it leans into lots of nasty stereotypes about uh, black people and like over sexualization, especially at the time, like in the sixties and seventies. Okay. Uh, and I think yeah. this just leans into it as she's the she will be naked and will take her clothes off uh, over and over again in the next couple of years, and it's gonna like just really get grating and really be too much. Yeah, I mean, definitely the way they the way yeah, they argue also... for it is, you know, she grew up in Africa sort of as a goddess where this, like, and she can control the rain. <laughs> so yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. she can do these things. Uh, but I guess they always without... choose to visualize it in a way right, that they, exactly. like, they don't do Jean Grey shower scenes in the yes, same way. So right. with I, her I hair, like her hair is covering her breasts and, you know, some convenient fog is covering her crotch, right? Like, but it's, just covered up and you get the full body nudity i mean they, they could really easily do the same exact thing but just from the shoulders up right they could and they've chosen not to you're correct yeah. uh okay can we talk about the art dave cockrum uh yeah he's awesome what do you want to talk about <laughs> uh, i think he's not awesome i love his nightcrawler i love his nightcrawler yeah, uh, a yeah. whole awful lot Nightcrawler's is my yeah. favorite of this bunch for the record oh really um, oh cool yeah definitely yeah i think uh you know cockrum is a great fit here with claremont um the character designs as they've been established from all new all different or giant size rather are are excellent and it's i, I don't know it's just like it's very easy unlike the original x-men it's very easy to tell who's who which is awesome yes 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 that stands out a lot true. the design but, is like, really good there's really nothing to complain about here i actually really like the cyclops look with the um yeah 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 cyclops know, looks the, good the blue and yellow visor, but like the blue cap covering his hair, no hair out, yep. um, you know, which will come in the nineties. But yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't have anything specific. I think Cockrum's almost underrated by virtue of not being John Byrne, um, who comes on later and has probably all the biggest X-Men stories, but like his, I... his contributions to X-Men are, are like incalculable. I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't develop the way it did without Dave Cockrum contributing here. I think, yeah, I think all his design works really good. I don't like his like page layout. Um, I think he way overcrowds the page on every page and it makes it like a little, it's not, it's not really easy to like read at a glance. The page overcrowds it with what though? Cause the, it's overcrowded with like dialogue and stuff, but that's Claremont. dialogue. And like, you know, he always does like six, eight panels in a page and they're always very, that's small just to fit the dialogue. <laughs> I think a lot of <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well then maybe, I mean, maybe it's not a Cochrane problem then maybe it's Claremont forcing his hand, but I think like. He just does very little. I, I think these pages just don't have any room to breathe, right? They're just really, really yep. dense with art. And I, I think, uh, like we've seen, there are artists who can do that and just kind of break up the flow of every panel or every page being so heavy with imagery. Yeah, um, I definitely don't think, you know, we, and we just keep coming back to it because it's so fascinating. But like, if you look at Panther's Rage and the stuff that like Billy Graham was doing in the tail end of that in between right, preaching, yeah. like... Cockrum's visual layouts don't really compare, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Not really. Yeah, it's, it's not a problem sort of with. Thing. I, I I think each panel works really well. I think like it's pretty clear storytelling. I think there's just um there's something to like letting your eye relax 
uh, in these, like with the mm-hmm. flow with, you know, basically pulling the camera back. He very rarely pulls the camera back. And besides like those big opening splash pages and kind of like just establishes the scene from a distance. Um, I think, I think that it, it's a pretty minor complaint. Like I still like looking at these. I think they're uh, attractive, attractive pages more or less, but I, I think that is his biggest fault right now. Yeah. I but like you said, that might be a Claremont, <laughs> Claremont problem. Yeah, I think I think it's collaborative, yeah, collaborative sure. thing. That, yeah, I'm I'm wondering like how much, um, you know, if if the Marvel method is still the way, like the house style now, right? Of like the the writer writing the dialogue and the artist actually plotting out the pages. I my assumption, without having looked at it, is that that is not as true as it once was. I mean, yeah, I definitely I'm, I'm associate Marvel Method with Stan Lee specifically, and I think probably as we've gotten more creators involved that that has changed a bit. Well, I don't um, know. I mean, it, is that, into it. that... I don't know how modern of a thing that is for writers to, like, be dictating what's happening page by page, panel by panel. Right? Well, I don't yeah. think... I think most modern creators do not use the Marvel Method. Yeah. Um, I know well, I, that's what I I'm remember saying. That's not, reading, like, that's not Matt Fraction was playing around using it as, like, a test on a Defenders run he did in 2011, but that was, like experimenting with creativity but that's uh, not the marvel method the, right like i mean a writer writing out like directing the panels is specifically that's the opposite not the mar- of exactly the that's what i'm saying so I, I don't know how modern that is like if that is something that they were doing at the time i don't know if claremont is saying like opening page you know it's the ice rink off fifth avenue and splash page full page page two sure. six panels first panel this you know like if he's directing it i i yeah, I'd be curious to see, like, I don't know, find interviews of how these these different creators work. Yeah, yeah, I could see that. All right, you with me? Yeah, no, I'm just watching your. Uh, <laughs> I'm looking up. Watch. I'm looking up uh, Claremont script. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'll I'll hold for that if we uh, if you want to actually find. Nah, find I'm one. not sure this is actually useful. All right, we can we can try to dig through that, or of course, let uh, us know yeah, over I mean, at my marvelous year at yeah, gmail.com if you have some thoughts of your own. In the meantime, let's move on to the Jack Kirby special. The Jack Kirby comes back to Marvel. He's writing Captain America. He's writing Eternals. He's eventually going to be writing Devil Dinosaur. But right now, we're just talking Captain America. He's going to be here for to 196. like two years, which was kind of surprising to me. I looked on Marvel Unlimited, and he yeah, it's like two or three. Like 1978, and that's it. Yeah, he kind of um, comes back uh, ostensibly for the big bicentennial, <laughs> ironically, yeah, yeah, yeah. of uh, America's 200th birthday. He's going to take over Captain America as the writer and artist. Now, if you've forgotten or don't know, uh, what is he coming back from? So Jack Kirby, obviously, is the king of of comics creation, and it was part of the Marvel Silver Age in, like, Absolutely enormous ways. I mean, so much of what we know today from the Silver Age comes from Kirby's pen in collaboration oftentimes with Stan Lee. Uh, And he left Marvel right about 1970, went over to the Distinguished Competition, where he wrote uh, a bunch of series, including The New Gods. He's probably the most well-known. The Fourth World, where he did a saga between the pages of, like, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, Mr. Miracle, New Gods, and uh, the Forever People. So he's coming back to Marvel. It's not as big a deal maybe as it would have been like i don't know like we're deep enough into the decade where he's probably lost a little bit of his of his fastball just in the sense that or not his fastball but just like um his creator name like what's the word i'm looking for uh uh prestige notoriety notoriety maybe <laughs> yeah no no no, no, no more positive maybe. though because like yeah 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 fourth world was not super no, well prestige. received yeah I think is the thing. Oh, you know, really? Like I didn't we look know back that. on it now for the creations and it created Dark Side and the the entire concept of the fourth world and like it's this amazing thing that that DC has leveraged time and time again. Um, but it didn't sell great. 
And it didn't, uh, you know, like most of the series were canceled, you know, eventually. Like he didn't get to do it necessarily as long as he wanted to, which is part of the reason he's coming back to Marvel. So there's definitely like a, he's not necessarily the hot ticket maybe he once was. Yeah, um, sure. Even though, you know, obviously historically we look back and say Jack Kirby's incredible and like his creations are absolutely like, if not the greatest in superhero comics, certainly among the, the top. So Cap and Eternals, I think we can talk in broad terms about them together. Because they both read like Kirby comics. What did you think of all of a sudden having new Jack Kirby work at Marvel in 1976? Captain America feels like a big step down from what it has been. I feel like Captain America has been a really sharp comic for the past couple of years. Um, Everything I've read has been like just a little bit fresher, a little younger, younger, a little younger. It's so younger. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. What was I saying? Yeah, I feel like his take on trying to make Captain America this, like, you know, politically relevant superhero feels straight out of the 60s. It Like, it's right back to that well of just, like, a supervillain who causes discord and, like, you know, uh, it's just a hate monger. We've read this already, right? Like, this was a character. It's a character who comes in and just amplifies everybody's prejudice against each other. Okay, I'm going to stop you here. So's- I've heard enough. <laughs> I disagree <laughs> pretty strongly. Um, okay. I would not have the first time I read these. I would have thought 100% the exact same things that you did. But here's the thing, Zach. I've grown. I've, I've <laughs> become more more of a Kirby uh, uh, aficionado. Well, but the first time. time you read it, you were just a dad. Daddy. I was just a dad. You were and just now, a daddy, but now you're a double daddy. I'm a double big daddy, baby. And no. uh, these comics are really good. They're really fun. And the energy, the manic energy to these, plus uh-huh. the extremely relevant political connotations of these books, uh-huh. I think are surprisingly good. So uh-huh. your point, it feels like the Silver Age, 100%. 100% it does. It feels old school. Kirby's stuff at Marvel sort of inherently does. And I think, we ta- I talked about this on the variant, when you defined the Silver Age, and you come back in 1976, and you're drawing and, and writing more or less the same way, right, yeah, it's yeah. going to feel like the Silver Age. You created yeah. it, essentially. Yeah, I don't think it's really bad. I think it's bad in comparison to, like, specifically, even in comparison to what Captain America has been like. I think it's a step down. Like Captain well, and America so let's, let's just... compare, because, so we read Secret Empire, was the most recent uh, Cap story we did as part of the yeah, Cap, sure. right? And Secret Empire is a long story that takes on the political moment of the time, essentially, with Watergate by the end of the story, right? Mm-hmm. So kind of like right. distrust in the government and and just overall concern. Kirby's politics are kind of always centered around what was the big moment for him, which was being in World War II. So right, villains yeah, yeah. are often literal Nazis. The ideologies he's fighting against are f- literal fascism. There's an entire issue that is taking on basically Hitler merged with Orwell's 1984, right? And yeah. I think uh I mean it's is interesting it to me. I didn't get I didn't get Nazi from this necessarily. Like I definitely got the the fascist overtones. I mean, it specifically says like, you know, next issue, 1984, Cap, right? Cap, so like the, uh, the, Cap you know, explicitly the, references Nazis and and comparisons to their villainous uh desires. Yeah, I I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, it's this whole thing they're called the elites and they are someone they're people who are trying to like bring america back to like pre-american days right where there's like the gentry and the working class and the like people essentially yeah well but you know not 
not literally slaves. They make a point of saying that, like, it's where people knew their place and they're happiest just being like, you know, the like you'll you'll be happiest if you understand that you should be working in the fields and that you should be my butler. And oh, so that, ha- like, so happy slaves. <laughs> I, I, that's what I wasn't. Getting. Well, I, I, but it's not literally literal slave slavery. I mean, it, it's supposed. To, it's just like incredibly stratified society, right? Like having a formalized class system, like you know, like pre-America, like Britain would have pre-America, like um, yeah, well, so like they're America. The, they're the dirtbag wealthy people who think everybody's less than them right yeah it's who sure. the elite are right yeah. yeah yeah um i think there's a lot here that that you look at and you're like this is it's broad politics in a way that is yeah you know secret empire is watergate it is specific. a specific yep. moment in time kirby's politics are broad and they stand the test of time i think pretty successfully especially that 1984 issue and you could say well it's super on the nose or this or that so many times today we hear people say, I don't want politics in comics. Take your politics out of my comics, right? It's a common drum that is banged. Jack Kirby's hitting it hard in 1976. He's not the first. He won't be the last. It's a common thing in comics, and especially in Captain America comics. And I think uh, it's something that is, it's a part of these cap issues, but we haven't even mentioned yet the Mad Bomb and the Kill Derby and the crazy energy behind just wild ideas that is in these. It's still comics. You know what I mean? It's yeah, not a man's sure political treaties that's just a part of it like it's still wild big ambitious kirby superhero comics um i think they are surprisingly good because i my expectation like like you were saying was kirby's gonna feel outdated and he's not gonna have it anymore um but he he brings just so much joy and enthusiasm to these books i mean uh, he has more explanation points than sentences like more than once yeah yeah, (laughs) it's it's kind of corny (laughs) but it's also really fun i love it yeah, I, eh, I, I mean, there, there's four issues here. They went down real easy. Like, I didn't hate this. I didn't think this was a slog to get through. This wasn't like, if this is his Silver Age work, this would be some of his better Silver Age work, right? Where, like, I enjoyed reading it, and I thought it flowed pretty well, and I never felt, like, you know, just anxious to have it over with. But I, I don't know. I mean, that, um, that broadness, the political broadness you're talking about, I think the specificity works better for me. I think that, like, makes it, like, a sharper commentary to kind of be a little more specific. I mean, you don't have to literally say, Richard Nixon in Watergate is our villain, but, you know, speaking to more specific types of prejudice just than, like, the rich hate the poor, the, you know, people who think they're superior, that kind of, like, very broad brush stuff doesn't, I don't know, it feels a little bit safer to me than some of the other stuff that Captain America has been doing. Yeah, I don't think I think that bad. 1984 think cap it's... issue, if it dropped yeah. today, would be extremely controversial. Extremely. Uh, Printed really? exactly as is. That's yeah. what I think. I don't know. I mean, it, it's also so clearly aping 1984, the book, right? Like, they are all in yeah, the It's on the cover. Their... It's not a. It's not pretending yeah. to do anything else. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're, they're showing the hate session, or what is it, the five-minute hate? That's brainwashing. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Captain America and Falcon are dealing with i did like the opening scene of them arm wrestling and then just like their uh their rivalry getting amped up till they just break the table so <laughs> fast it's amazing yeah yeah it's, it's amazing yeah and um they it's a mad bomb that goes off it you know what yeah, it does right <laughs> it makes people makes mad. You mad it makes yeah. people really mad and uh yeah. there's there's much bigger versions than the tiny one which leaves like Whatever town they're they, in, whatever borough of New York, just in ruins as people just yeah. lose their minds and attacking they one call another the, and everything. The small around ones, them. the potato, and then there's a medium sized one that's like 
will do a couple city blocks, and then there's a large one that will just, like, make the entire earth go mad, and that is called, and I, I don't, I didn't, I don't know how to process this. It was such a moment of shock for me when I finally <laughs> read this. Yeah. Um, just a second. I actually want to get the exact. Yeah, so you pull up that quote, but I mean, it. it's rare that I think, like, a 70s comic is retro, is somehow responding to what we've been talking about here in my marvelous year you know i know it, it, I, I mean I know it like really clearly that underlines that the fact possible it makes clear the fact that jack kirby listens to my marvelous year and right. was listening and, in and, 1976 right he listened to our episodes he's been following along in the slack he knows right how yeah. much we talk yeah, so, about being daddies and zach yeah so captain america gets the note and he says we can't fail we mustn't fail not when our objective bears the label of Big Daddy. Bum, and, bum, bum. Oh my God. and it just keeps happening, too. Right? They just keep talking about democracy in America is under the threat of Big Daddy. We must stop Big Daddy if we are to protect the ideals of America. I'm like, oh, my God. Just make every villain named Big Daddy. I I mean, I was, I was so it happy. It works for us. No disagreement. Yeah, so that's what Cap and Falcon are trying to fight throughout these. Um, I, I don't really want to do a whole lot more plot than we've already no, done. I no, think no. we mentioned the most interesting things. The The final issue we read is a kill derby, which is a roller derby where people try oh to kill God. each other. <laughs> yeah, they're on skateboards. and like Yeah, like that one feels dated for sure. But again, just like the <laughs> yeah. manic energy, I think is pretty entertaining. Um, Zach, you asked me this, I think in chat, it ends on a cliffhanger. And uh, you asked me, why don't we read more? And let me let me follow that with another question. Did you continue? Uh, did you continue reading? I read the next curious? one. You did? Yeah, yeah. I read the next one because, like I said, these were fine. Like I wasn't, I didn't hate this. I wasn't like, oh, thank God, it's over. Did um, you feel like the next one really? Uh, no, really it kind of just keeps going, and like the next one like wraps up some of it, but not all of it. And yeah, we got more Kirby Cap to come in uh in uh the bonus round of seventy seven. So yeah, so again, this is if, one if of those. You're, if you're enjoying it, keep going. Obviously, with anything. Yeah, but sure. uh, but I don't think you need to. Yeah, and that leads us into the Eternals. We read three issues of this again. Jack no, Kirby I actually read five, and... and I think I'm actually going to recommend most people read the first five uh, as yeah. well. I think it kind of puts a little. It actually is more of a story that way yeah, than the first a little three. Ribbon on I realized. It. And now the only reason I kept going with this and I'm continuing to keep going with this is because all of a sudden the Eternals are super important, right? They're going to be a big new franchise in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, <sighs> and that makes them inherently interesting. Um, I was not a fan of Jack Kirby's Eternals the first time I read it. I was not a fan of Jack Kirby's Eternals the second time I read it. I'm but reading it for a third time. Daddy. What's that? Now is Double Daddy. What are you talking about? Daddy's a part of Captain America. No, no. I said, now that you are Double Daddy, dot, dot, dot. Your said dad it, I... references are confusing. <laughs> I'm... God, okay. Before, you said that you didn't like Captain America the first time, and then I made the joke that now you're Double Daddy... And that uh -huh. changed your perspective. Uh -huh. And so and I was just leading into the same thing this time. You didn't like the Eternals the first and second time, but now you're Double Daddy, dot, 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 and now you tell me what you thought of them. I love it when I make you explain jokes to me, oh, and you get so mad. <laughs> <laughs> Eternals, uh, the third time, it's more interesting. It's more interesting. <laughs> it's still not good. It's yeah, still not that, that good. If you didn't think it was very good... Read it again. You won't like it that much. Read it a third time. It's still not that good, but you'll and like you'll it. You'll only want to, and you'll only care because it's going to be a movie, and because maybe oh, you're I working on a YouTube video I'm... about how Apocalypse and the Eternals might be connected. Maybe that's happening in your life. I don't know. I don't I'm, know. What did you find? You, you must not have liked it. Uh, yeah. There's no. Way I mean, I didn't like hate it. it. I. You know what? Like, I've read worse. <laughs> I don't know. That's I've read worse. Bar. Jack Kirby. Even it's like it's a lot of ideas. <clears throat> It's a lot of 
big world building ideas framed around a bunch of characters I could care less about. Yeah, that's like, the problem. You know what's cool about could, the Eternals is the big picture, the the celestial issue one setup. The fact that there, yeah, exactly. The fact that there were these aliens, the space gods, the celestials, they're returning to Earth. The entire like mythology, basically, basically, it's Kirby taking like the Greek god pantheon i think yeah but we've already seen them so that was what was confusing but me it's not right like, so it's not actually them you know it's the eternal but it's like version ajax and cersei and what's the main one icarus um, icarus right but like hercules exists and You're so there's like athena which is clearly you know athena right like there's all these little yeah, like minor yeah, yeah. twists on the names but not it's not the olympic pantheon they're the eternals but, and it, it, but it kind of is because like cersei shows up and starts threatening to like turn someone into a pig which is what she is the... cersei yeah yeah 100 right yeah like, she yeah, talks yeah. about doing it to odysseus and this and that so those are the characters here and they all they're all just not that interesting um i think the other big problem with this is kirby's already done cosmic mythology so much better yeah. in the fourth world and oh, okay i don't know how i don't know how you can read the eternals having familiarity with the fourth world and not think like who who is the character here that compares to scott free who is the character here that compares to Orion? Who is the character here that compares to Darkseid? None of them even come close. It's pronounced Darkseid? I always thought it was Darkseid. Uh, you can no, say that's... Thanos or Thanos, however you want, but I Thanos. say Thanos. I, I say Thanos. Thanos. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, uh, uh, yeah, I, I, I kind of kept I questioning on the nose. I kept questioning why this exists because we already have like okay so the setup is that celestials these space gods you know back before humans existed showed up on earth and created took apes and modified them into three mm -hmm. races of people the eternals which are eternal immortal creations they're basically greek gods that live up on the mountaintop and they're like yeah. beautiful blonde people um the mm, humans, Zeus has a fiery head of red hair. Oh, I didn't get to Zeus. Oh, so, there's um, a splash page. Wait, that Zeus is all is here Zeus's because, hair. Is it? But it's not the same Zeus as Hercules that's Eternals number Zeus. five, and I can't oh, remember what he actually goes Ugh. by here. But it's Zeus. okay. All right, so yeah, he creates the Eternals, which are these like perfectly, you know, peaceful, ideal versions of humanity. He creates the humans, which are like this balance. They like have war and hatred in their heart, but also the capacity for peace and goodness. And then the deviants who are like the evil version of this, right? Which also like I'm tired deviants of deviants are the... all different and they all right. oh, that's, that's, kind of monstrous yeah. but in different ways. Like no one that of is them is the same. Yeah. yeah. Um, um it's I I don't like just... I mean I I think that's a really, really boring conceit of like this race of people is good, like, quote, unquote, this race of people are, like, they are bad people. And I think that's a really dull, like, especially for somebody who's so uh, anti-Nazi, right? That's like, it's only like, kind of two sidesteps away from that kind of like, oh, these are bad people. I mean, that, it's a little stretch in this context. I'm not really saying that, like, it's that well, nasty of a, yeah, of a No, but you're kind of right. Like, but, like, the Deviants, and maybe this will play out over the course of the series, but the Deviants as a race... As a created race, like you need, you need a little more complexity to yeah, them sure. than what you get. I mean, I think like the Deviants and the Eternals, they're like sworn enemies. But then, sort of as the series progresses, they'll also like pretty easily call a truce and hang out together. You okay. know, kind of like yeah. in in surprising ways. Um, it, I don't know. It just the I appreciate the ambition, but it pales in comparison to the better version of this, which you is know the Fourth World. Well, and then I mean, it also compare it also pales in comparison to I think so far in the '70s something we've seen really strongly 
is the tying in of old continuities into new complicated stories, right? Yeah. So in 1975, yeah. we got the Vision's backstory, and it tied into him being the original Human Torch, uh, which then tied into him having the consciousness of Simon Williams. Like, they took all these little stories and threaded them together into one long thing. We got the Celestial Madonna thing, which had, like, the history of the Kree and this other race, and it all tied together. We got this big, big, big complicated story. Adam Warlock, whatever. Right. Like, lots of taking in years of continuity and weaving it into a new complicated but interesting story. Right. The, the Inhumans already exist, right? Like, I kept reading this and thinking, like, why isn't he just like building the story of the Inhumans rather than this whole other thing because we already have this idea of the Kree came down they messed with human evolution and they created the Inhumans it's uh, why, why do we have a, a really whole good other point. race of space gods that are creating a whole different race it's like just make the Inhumans more interesting give them some kind of like grounding because they need it right like, yeah at this point, if you the weaved in still are kind of flailing right totally if you weaved in some of Kirby's own creations Inhumans or X-Men into this narrative of of like you know prehistory and and kind of a secret prehistory created by the celestials it would work and it would be a lot more interesting inherently yeah because we have we have knowledge of these characters that jack kirby helped create and Um, i mean as as much as the inhumans are lacking in like a core identity i think at this point like the individual inhumans are still pretty interesting like I think Black Bolt's pretty cool. Like Maximus the Mad is pretty cool. We are, we have already gotten to know these. That one of them was on the Fantastic Four for a while. Like I yeah, it feels like a, a real mistake to like not. I mean Jack Kirby probably came in. He was like, I have this idea and I'm going to bring it to Marvel and create it at Marvel. But I appreciate that the creative fires are still burning and firing here. You know, so like rather than just lean back and be like, Hey, what if it was Black Bolt? Which I have to admit sounds a lot more fun. Um, he tries something new. Right, and I, I don't mind that. It just doesn't really come together. Oh, I think it's, it's in the way a lot a of million his best times more do. interesting to like try to create a new story out of existing elements that we've seen. Like because especially at this era, right? Like in the seventies, that's pretty rare and new for someone to like really recontextualize. Like we're seeing that with the X Men right now, taking something that exists that's like a little flat that has not quite worked, and being like, "Hey, but what if you look at it from this angle?" Right? Like, yeah. what if this was, you know? the hook about them like i'm gonna find i'm gonna find the core of the inhumans like uh paul jenkins does in 1999 like this is what's cool about the inhumans and i'm going to like you know take everything that's already existed about them but really find that like that key to making them you know something more than what we've seen before you know and so, i think the other thing you're getting at here is the eternals doesn't really fit in with the marvel universe no know? i can't imagine so because how, like, it doesn't these people connect to interact. those things Right, like it doesn't, it feels like it's a solo creator-owned ongoing in a lot of ways. There's like a brief thing joke eventually. Um, It might not be till like issue six, but it's just, I guess S.H.I.E.L.D.'s around too in this, but it's like, it's barely Marvel Universe and that kind of hurts it uh, because it's not more successful. You know, it doesn't really Mm -hmm. stand on its own. It could use the support of the continuity and the things we already enjoy. So I don't know. I don't think we're saying anything too controversial here because the fact that Eternals is going to be big in the MCU is like pretty shocking to most people. I mean, I've I've ran into... It's it's definitely a bigger challenge than Guardians of the Galaxy. You know, I've said that's the reference that a lot of people like to make is like, well, they did it with Guardians. Guardians had a really good comic run you could point to and say, hey, the 2008-2010 series by Dan Abnett, Andy Lanning, and Paul Pelletier, it's great. You should check it out. That's clearly the template for how Guardians can be awesome. With Eternals, it's like... 
Uh, well, I guess you could read Kirby's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> if you really yeah. want to see what's going on, I'm finding it more interesting now because I'm I'm more curious to like actually pay attention and try to figure out how these things might come to life. Yeah, uh, sure. but it's it's you so know, it doesn't. Totally are you work. saying that like I mean I know there's like every decade or so somebody tries to do like an Eternals miniseries and revamp them. I keep seeing them on, you know, Marvel Unlimited, but like, is there ever a moment in Marvel that the Eternals are like, oh, okay, I get it now. This is what's cool about them. So in the 2000s, Neil Gaiman, writer of Sandman and uh-huh. American Gods and all sorts of great things, writes a Eternals miniseries. Um, that's probably the one you got to point to and say, hey, if you're interested in checking this out. Now, I don't really love that series uh, much at all, actually. It goes down easier than Kirby's, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. There's there's not a series to me that I'm like you know like you mentioned with the Jenkins Lee Inhumans where you're like yeah here's a really great one like this is right, a great yeah, yeah. way to get into the Inhumans I mean the game in Eternals is the best bet but it's not I could see him I'm, I'm not the biggest Gaiman fan but I could see him like oh I, I like Gaiman working well with this yeah yeah um, I mean besides so, Sandman I don't I don't think there's a Gaiman thing I like but uh, you read American Gods. I've read like the first 200 pages a couple times and been like, you read, you made it 200 pages twice. <laughs> yeah, I think so. Yeah. <laughs> Just finish. <laughs> nah, it's a big book. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. It's fine. Um, please, please don't try to convince me to like Neil Gaiman. Anybody? <laughs> um, the, oh, so I should say Jack Kirby is still doing excellent art. Uh, he's got like a couple double splash pages here in both Captain America and Eternals that are very cool. The design of the Eternal stuff, um, some of it's really cool. The Aztec inspired stuff I really like. The Deviant's design I think is garbage. It's weird that they're all wearing sunglasses, right? It's just like, you know, millennia old uh, beings of pure goodness. And then they like wake up from their 2000 year old sleep and they come out wearing like a cool pair of shades um i think that's pretty ridiculous but like generally he's he still has like very cool I wish, design and- i wish every time like odin slumbered or like apocalypse <laughs> awoke from his sleep they would come out just wearing aviators that would be incredible yeah 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 uh yeah so I, his art is still very good i think he generally. draws a heck of a celestial i wish yeah. eternals oh, yeah, was more celestial cool. focused yeah, that is yeah. the stuff I'm most interested in. By far, it has the longest lasting legacy of anything from this. I mean, Celestials are a big deal. Are they? In Marvel okay. Comics. Oh, yeah. I remember um, them so, showing up once in the MCU, like in some little exposition moment. But Probably Guardians 2. They have yeah. a little, a little Guardians, cameo. Um, yeah, but yeah. I'm sure they'll play a role in Eternals. So it'll be really interesting, I think, how the MCU yeah, sure. is going to integrate this. I mean... Uh, I think it's well worth reading the issues. Again, I don't think they're knockouts, but it's, you know, it's going to have a role. So I think you're ahead of the curve if you check them out here. I mean, I'm mostly, I'm excited about the Eternals because of the the director and that cast are both like real good looking, just a a real handsome cast. You really, you love a handsome director. That's the thing is like style, (laughs) substance. I think it's Chloe, Chloe Zhao. I'm pretty sure. What has she done? Do you know? Um, What's it called? Uh, Ride Along Pete is what I'm going to say. That's wrong, but. What's okay. her name? Okay. Uh, no, just oh, the writer, the writer. I don't know the where Pete came Pete? from. There was another movie that came. There was another movie. It was like 2017. There were like three horse movies. They were all like these real small indie horse movies, and it was like the writer. And there's another one that has the word Pete in. I swear, I didn't just make up Ride Along Pete. <laughs> anyway, okay, I believe. Yeah. You. All right. Next on our list, Daredevil 131. To 132. This We're out of Kirby Comics. Weird. We're into the debut of Bullseye. It is pretty weird, isn't it? <laughs> we have a, we- a weird set of comics. Like, yeah, I didn't so- dislike this. I just was like, 
This is bonkers. Yeah, yeah. It's it's the introduction of Bullseye. We haven't been reading a ton of Daredevil, and we're not we're not yet at Frank Miller recontextualizing what it means to write a Daredevil comic. Um, nope. This is it's an interesting like blend between the the disturbing violence that's going to come with a character like Bullseye, who is a mm-hmm. psychopathic assassin murderer, oh, and so cool. the sort of uh, Bronze Age like wackiness. It was really wacky. The tone was just like so all over the place, but I kind of just dug it because it was like, it was just one of these comics where you literally have no idea what's going to happen next. And it just continually surprised you of just like, all right, Daredevil burst into the room chasing Bullseye and then flip on the light. They're in the circus. Like, And then it's like, (laughs) now they're fighting in a circus ring. And now Bullseye is riding it. Bullseye kicks the Scarlet Witch off of an elephant and charges Daredevil down with an elephant. Uh, like, it just was so all over the place. I, I mean, I think my favorite scene was the first scene of da- or, um, the first scene of Bullseye was just so weird. Uh, we get a shot of a paper airplane flying through the city, and the paper airplane smashes through a window, uh-huh. <laughs> which uh-huh. is pretty good. And a man's just like, oh, what's that? A paper airplane? How did that break the window? Never explained. Never explained actually how the paper airplane broke through the window. It's pretty um, obvious. I mean, he threw it good. Like, yeah, throw good. Still, Paper airplanes can break anything. It still fluttered down. It didn't go in a straight line. It's yeah, yeah. Uh, so to anyway. clarify here, Bullseye, his deal is he can Ooh. throw things so good. It's I. It's genuinely <laughs> I love it. Like so cool. Like I, I unironically think it's like the coolest superpower. I love it. I, like, I seriously not do. that he's a good shot. I love that he doesn't use guns almost ever. Right. It's just it's a that, like mm-hmm. anything is just a lethal weapon in his hands. Right, even like, a paper airplane, even playing I mean, cards. Right, these are the things. I mean, he, that he's the, the first around. thing he does is he kills someone with a ballpoint pen. Right, so okay, he, yeah. The the note that this guy gets says like, "Get me one hundred thousand dollars, or I'll kill you." Signed, Bullseye. And then the guy's like, "Oh my god, who's Bullseye?" And then he turns around and Bullseye's in the room with him. Heck yeah! <laughs> and Bullseye's like, "So, do you have my hundred thousand dollars?" And the guy's like, what, "Intro, baby. What do you mean right now in cash? No, of course not." And Bullseye's like. Bullseye's like, well, you have to die. <laughs> like, does he not know how this works? Like, you have to give him a moment. Like, he has to go to the bank. I mean, I, here's the secret about Bullseye. He was probably never interested in the money. I know. I, I, I kind of get that eventually. Like, they make a point of saying he's just making an example of this guy. Right? Yeah. But I uh, I like the idea that, like, he's a really, really lethal assassin. But he also yeah. is just, like, a terrible criminal. <laughs> <laughs> who just has no clue how to actually practically extort people, right? right? Like somebody, you know, he puts a gun to somebody's head as they're at the ATM and he's just like, withdraw all your money. And they're like, okay, I have to I have to put in my PIN number. And he's like, no, don't. And he just shoots them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I love this. Um, he's got a lot to I learn. I don't really know what he's doing with Daredevil. Like he's just attacking Daredevil to prove a point i it's not really clear right like daredevil's just an opponent for him yeah i think the story here <laughs> is way less essential than the debut of this character and the fact that like his design and his skill set and to a degree his personality all really give you a pretty quick like oh yeah this guy's gonna be around like this yep. is i, I want to yeah, see more yeah. bullseye first daredevil oh yeah. Um, yeah, yeah and that's gonna become doubly true as things progress so i don't have anything else to add to this other than Welcome to the Marvel Universe, Lester Poindexter, you villainous creep. Um, there's something interesting about, uh, there's something interesting here in this, these comics about, like, the state of American paranoia and the rise of conspiracy theories. Okay. Um, 
where Daredevil's girlfriend is... Heather. Daredevil's girlfriend is the daughter of some, like, real estate mogul who's running a slum tenement. And that's, like, this whole side plot is that Foggy Nelson and Matt Murdock are investigating, like, this slumlord. And that Matt Murdock's girlfriend is shocked to find her father is, like, this slumlord. Yeah. But she's also like, I don't know what to believe anymore. Like, the radio keeps telling me different things. And then later they hear, like, the radio saying something like, you know, the Vietnam War didn't actually happen. All the soldiers were working for the CIA in South America, uh, fighting, you know, at the behest of the CIA and drug wars, and they were all just hypnotized. And then there's, like, some other big conspiracy theory thing mentioned, maybe about, like, JFK or something. And then she even mentions, like, there's been an imposter in the White House, like, basically referencing Secret Empire. Interesting, yeah. Uh, Yeah, and I think that is, like, an interesting wink at something that is becoming a big deal in the American, like, cultural consciousness at the time, which is this, like, rise of conspiracy theories and, you know, like, who really killed JFK and Watergate and, like, complete distrust in the American... Uh, infrastructure of like what it you know what you can trust and legacy media and all this so um it's yeah. just a little wink at that but i think it's our first wink in marvel comics at seeing that right so that, i thought that was kind of interesting yeah that's a good call out uh yeah and then we get to fantastic four 168 to 170 and these are good i guess uh these are okay. yeah it's a story like where these. benjamin j Grimm has lost his thing powers you won't believe it. It happened yet again. He lost his thing powers. <laughs> because he, and, uh, he, was, he got punched by the Hulk while he was standing on the uh, the arch in St. Louis, right? Like, he fought the Hulk so hard, he lost his thing powers. That's <laughs> right. so funny. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so Reed and the crew bring in a replacement, Luke Cage, to take Ben's role in the Fantastic yeah. Four. Love the addition of Luke. Love that he's yeah, getting a yeah, shot yeah. at the big time here. I would actually Man, say yeah. one of my biggest critiques of these three issues, I believe they're written by Roy Thomas with art by Rich Buckler, That's is correct. that uh, Luke does oh, not get enough George attention. George Perez. 69 and 70. George, George Perez, Perez comes over. on. Yeah, yeah. 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 I just noticed because I, was, George I Perez. was talking a bunch today about um, his 1987 run of Wonder Woman, which is my favorite run of superhero comics ever. Uh, eh. And uh, now I know I'm so mad at like your placement on the... Uh, your like best comics of all time list it's like way down there it's like it's the, it's pretty the, high <laughs> the, those first no it's like it's pretty low i think it's like definitely below 100 i don't know anything in the hundreds is super high but carry on yeah anyway um yeah those first six issues i think are like perfection but uh yeah so he luke cage gets a real spotlight which i think is awesome um i love luke cage and i think i wish you got more of a spotlight off. actually yeah 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 sure you mean in these issues or just in, in these general? issues specifically yeah Oh, okay. Um, because, so, there's yeah, a there's the, a mysterious there possession the foil, right? going on. The first issue, the Wrecker gets, is, like, possessed, and the Fantastic Four go and stop him with Luke in tow. The second issue, Luke gets possessed and starts fighting Sue. He throws a couch at her. <laughs> first, he's just showing off. <laughs> he's showing off how he can lift a couch to, like, impress the kids, and they're having, like, no, no. really fun No, no, I mean, he's doing it in front of Alicia Masters and Sue Storm. And, he's just and like, isn't Franklin there, hey, too? you mind if... Franklin's I think there. Franklin's like, hey, because yeah, you mind yeah. if I work out and just starts lifting couches? <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is awesome. Um, but then he gets possessed while he's doing it and he throws a couch at him. But what I was yeah. gonna say is, because he gets possessed, he's kind of the bad guy for like an issue and a half. Um, yeah, and I, yeah. you don't get as much good Luke Cage because of that. He does have one really nice moment with Sue Storm where he says, like, "Hey, why aren't you called the Invisible Woman? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you're not, you have a child. Like, you shouldn't be Invisible Girl." And she's just like. Yeah, I can't remember. She's like, it might not be politically correct, but I'm going to be anachronistic for a little bit longer. I forget. Like I think she's basically just like, 
uh, just don't want to change it. Kind of like yeah, it's a, it's a yeah, total. Yeah. It's clearly a bad answer that Marvel editorial is simultaneously spinning. Like, uh, how do we answer this? We don't know. Well, like Luke, but why did they us? ask it in the first place? They, they, like, they're trying they to show that they're thinking Luke about it. I guess. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Um, I mean, the real focus of these issues is not the puppet master, and that actually is what's frustrating to me. Is because I wish that the the the, the thing going on is that Ben Grimm is now human Ben Grimm. He's he's flesh Ben, not stone Ben. Fleshy and, Ben, they call him. Yeah, uh, and then like the there's this whole thing going on where he feels like <laughs> completely useless and pushed aside because Reed is acting really strange. Where like Ben shows up and he's like, "You wanted to talk to me," and Ben pulls out or Ben Reed pulls out the Charter of Incorporation and it's just like, according to the uh, Fantastic Four Charter, uh, technically that I wrote, we need clearly. quote four superpowered beings. Yeah, it's absurd because like they're a corporation. What does that mean? Like that you have shareholders and like he's talking about it like he's legally bound to keep four superpowered beings on the team. You don't have your printed stock of Fantastic Four up on your wall? It's it's insane. Like I keep my share up here all the time. It's fe- I've got it feels the Green like Bay they Packers don't know what the Fantastic being incorporated Four. means, right? Like the idea that there's a, a you know the, the a charter it, and a, a set of regulations that and are board like, members that binding. are like overseeing what they're doing, right? You know, like that's it's dumb. Uh, and it's also just like you wrote the rules, right? Like, but well, I mean, it is also the just, that's a that's a, like an old timey superhero thing where the Justice League are like, here are our rules and all the things that we follow. You know, yeah. That's, that's but it is also the fact that like they're right that Ben can't be a superhero, right? Like he's just a human now, and yeah, Ben goes to fight the wrecker. He's a goof and a jerk for yeah, all three yeah. issues. But yeah, I think he tries to fight the wrecker with no powers. Like, I know, and just, he immediately he's gets wrecker. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he gets, you know, bonked on the head by the uh the crowbar. And the I wish this was I wish they had taken the lesson from like some Spider Man comics and been like, hey, let's do a whole issue without a fight, right? Like, let's actually dive into this into some like interesting character moments because I think people would stand for it, right? People would be invested in like what Ben Grimm is doing without powers, without ha- having to be like a fight each issue. Yeah. Like I, I think it was just a distraction to the overall thing. Um yeah, the Ben story kind of sucks, I think. We've also seen it before. It, get, and we've it seen gets it a little better. better as time goes on, but like at the beginning, everyone's just acting either like a jerk or completely irrationally. Well, and Ben and particularly just... is like a huge jerk to Luke, who right, he yeah, feels yeah, yeah. is replacing him, but it's like, it just, <laughs> it comes off as very nasty and it just, it makes me not like Ben, you know? But I'm it like, also like, Reed is being completely callous, just like, oh, sorry, Ben, you're out of the Fantastic Four, says right here in the rules. All right, we yeah. gotta go, bye. Yeah. Like, you know, not being at all understanding of the fact that you know ben is feeling left out but also it's just like are you really like you know it, i think there is an interesting way to to explore that idea that like yeah he's always wanting to get rid of he always wants to be human again this whole time he pines after it and then eventually he gets it and he's like oh this isn't actually what i want i miss every being time he gets it he complains about it and i think Truly. there's like there's probably a way you could write that that's pretty interesting this just comes across as being like Hey, you're taking the spotlight from me. Like, I don't like it. Uh, I did really like in 169, there's a scene at a bar. I, <laughs> I really liked where he gets into a fight with a bunch of guys at the bar. And they yeah. do. I thought that was Without the most powers. effective. It was the most effective use of this where they cut back and forth between panels of Ben fighting a bunch of guys in the bar and him fighting supervillains. Right. Like, when like, he, like in the, the same. Time he like, crushed Dr. Doom's hands. Totally. Right. Or I think maybe the time he like tipped over Galactus. Uh, yeah. Yeah, doing all these different moments and, you know, kind of showing him, like, reveling in his glory days. 
And then he just gets, like, hit over the head, and he loses the fight until Reed Richards and Johnny Storm show up. Yeah, that's true. That's um, true. That's a good moment. Yeah. I So it all yeah. it all kind of comes to a head with, you know, the reveal that, oh, surprise, surprise, it was the Puppet Master, uh, the Fantastic Four villain who controls people that we know. He was in jail, but he, yeah. had, uh, he had little dolls hidden in a block in a radioactive that uh, Alicia Masters whatever. actually uncovers. So yeah, yeah, yeah. props to Alicia. I, Alicia has some really nice moments in this, actually, where she's, you know, try, basically trying to help Ben through this transformation. There's a couple moments where kids come up and ask for an autograph, and Ben's oh, like, yeah. oh, no like problem, that. kids. And they're like, no, we want it from Miss Masters, the esteemed artist. Um, so, and, you know, she, <laughs> you know, that way that, like, children go get uh, autographs. Well, they're like, they're like college art majors. From modern-day sculptors. I mean... Obviously, you don't understand the arts, Zach, but these kids did. It's just a bunch of rocks. I don't get it. <laughs> yeah, so uh, it's Bob Master. He gets stopped. I kind of wish Luke Cage was a uh, was a player in the Fantastic Four for longer. Um, oh, is but, he? You know, oh, yeah. I guess because the end of this stint. is like Reed Richards it creates a the thing suit for Ben, and it's just like he's oh, got his thing suit back. Yeah. Which, again, just continually begs the question of just, like, why don't you have an army of these? Like, Well, he's already made one. We saw it way back in the standard. Yeah, no, I know. It's the same thing. It's in the first time. Exactly. Yeah, it's dumb. Um, I mean, I kind of assume by the time we read a Fantastic Four issue again, Ben will be the thing again and won't be walking around in a The Thing suit. That is the way of things, isn't it now? Um, Oh, good joke. The way of things. Huh? (laughs) <laughs> I will. I will not take credit for that. But good if joke, you enjoyed Dave. it. Write to my marvel this year. Gmail. That's the new motto for the podcast. <laughs> the way of things or good joke, Dave. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> That's what saying. Uh, yeah, the new motto is quote good joke, Dave, and then after in parentheses sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. This is 1976 Part 1. We'll be back next week with 1976 Part 2. We're going to get into Howard the Duck, Master of Kung Fu, Warlock, Jungle Action, which is Black Panther, and some Tomb of Dracula, Doctor Strange crossover, which I actually read for this episode, now that I think about it. Um, I got the uh, the Jungle Action collection in print. It's the first comics I bought, like, paper editions of, so I'm going to read those issues with my... Is it the Epic Collection? Yeah, with uh, it's like basically this entire run of jungle action. It's pretty cool. Nice. Yep. Nice, nice, And they nice. did what we were talking about, where it just says on the front, like, Black Panther, Panther's Rage. Oh, so yeah, So it doesn't yeah. say anything about jungle it, action jungle until action would be get crazy. into it. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, totally. So, you've been listening to My Marvel this year. If you like the show, please consider uh, subscribing to us over on iTunes. Please consider rating and reviewing as well. That'll help us find more listeners. Yeah, we've, find- we've had a little... Uh, uh, a, a we we had like a big boom of iTunes reviews there for a while, which was really appreciated. And it's been it's been quiet since. So if if, uh, if you can take five minutes to go sign up for that hell hellish service, I know it's a pain in the ass, but we really do appreciate it. Like it's always really nice to get those reviews, and it does give us an air of legitimacy that uh, God knows we need. <laughs> <laughs> Try not to sound too desperate. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, you know, things are great. Things are going great. Um, you can find all the reading lists for everything we're going to be reading next, either in the show notes, you can find them over at patreon.com slash year for weekly updates, or if you subscribe to the Comic Book Herald newsletter, I send them out uh, before we hit a new year as well. Music for the show is by Disasterpiece. You can find their music wherever you listen. And thank you, as always, to Disasterpiece for our excellent theme. Yeah, I just do want to mention, like, we do really appreciate all of our Patreon backers. And if you're a listener of the show and are not backing, uh, even like a dollar a month really helps us out. Uh, just having like a consistent stream of, uh, of 
subscribers there is great. And we uh we've been we've been edging so close. You've just been edging me for that five hundred dollar goal. People. I saw you going to that joke, and I couldn't oh, hang up God. in time. I tried. I really <laughs> did. This has been like a particularly not thirsty episode. Uh, That's think, true. So. We've scaled back the thirst, and yeah. um, I think from I, the I can last only. One, last I think it's just because we're recording on Sunday. Wild. You know, we're, we're recording from church. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the <laughs> confessional booth right now. Uh, confessional. Quiet, I was just quietly at like cathedral, but. <laughs> You feel like you have yeah. something to apologize for. <laughs> I mean, I'm not Catholic, but uh, I did sneak into this. I mean, it's got the best acoustics. In the well, the weird, the weird thing is you went to a Lutheran church and you brought your own confessional. You brought your own booth. It's just like a <laughs> pop-up tent. <laughs> I don't, Lutherans don't, I don't know anything about Lutherans. Uh, they are founded by a Martin. I think oh, okay. on that we can all agree. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, all right. Well, anyway. Uh, thank you to our patron backers, and please consider heading over there and supporting the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, everybody. You all are awesome. Thanks for listening. And as always, we will see you next year. We will see you next year. Uh-huh.